Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University, Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. On the Postgraduate Pharmacist, we focus on preparing and obtaining postgraduate training positions. From current events to expert advice, you'll have up-to-date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Halloween is right around the corner, and we want to get in the spirit. DM us your spookiest interview story, either that you experienced personally or heard about from a friend or colleague. Your story might be featured on our bonus episode, which will be released on Halloween, anonymously, of course. We are looking forward to reading your stories. All right, now back to the show. Last week was part one of our two-part series discussing the implications of ASHP mid-year being held virtually. We heard from two residents to discuss from a candidate perspective last episode, but this week we wanted to discuss the implications from a residency program director perspective. And I am really, really, really excited to introduce today's guest, who is a mutual acquaintance of both Taylor and I. This is the person who really taught me how to rationalize controversial pharmacotherapy decisions, uh, the one who actually helped me decide to pursue postgraduate training and has just been a very positive presence in my postgraduate experience. So our guest today is David Stewart, who is a professor at my alma mater, East Tennessee State University, Wild Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy, and residency program director for ETSU's PGY2 in internal medicine. So, David, welcome to the Postgraduate Pharmacist. Well, thank you, Sean, and thank you, Taylor. It's certainly a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate uh, your invitation to come and, and chat about this topic today. So, David, our goal with this series is really to ease the minds of candidates who are gearing up for virtual mid-year and hopefully help them feel a little more prepared. We are excited to have you on the episode because we feel like you have a lot of great insight for our listeners as a residency program director who has attended both in-person and virtual mid-year. But first, could you tell us just a little bit about your professional journey and how you ended up in your position that you're at today? Absolutely. And since you asked about my professional journey, I'll leave out all the information from uh, kindergarten through elementary school, Sean. Uh, But, you know, when I was graduating high school, uh, I, I really did not know what I wanted to do, but had considered, maybe contemplated the profession of pharmacy and had seen the pharmacist behind the counter at the, you know, the Eckerd drugstore or in the small town independent pharmacy in my hometown. And I thought, well, that might be an interesting profession to pursue. Uh, turns out that I had someone that uh, I knew that worked in a hospital pharmacy that needed a part-time uh, technician and asked if I would be interested in pursuing the job. So I applied, got the position and really fell in love with working in the hospital pharmacy environment. So that somewhat solidified my decision to pursue pharmacy as a career. Uh, In my sophomore year of college, I had the first opportunity to meet with, I will call him a recruiter. He was the associate dean for admissions uh, uh, at Campbell University. And uh, Dr. Dan T., a great guy. After meeting him, he's like a legitimate clinical pharmacist and very passionate about the profession. 
uh, and really sold me not only on the school, but also on the profession of pharmacy. And the next thing I knew, I'm at Campbell uh, University getting my doctor of pharmacy degree. I was in my third year of as being a student, and I remember attending a session on residency training, thinking, I really just want to go to work in a hospital. Do I, do I need to do this or not? And so I was somewhat on the fence because my experience had been I'd never worked with anyone who had trained in a residency program, and I'd seen the, the job they, they performed, and I liked that job. But when I was a fourth-year student, I had an opportunity to be on an internal medicine teaching service in a more academic environment, and I just fell in love with that environment. And from that day on, that was October, November of my P4 year, I said, I'm doing a residency. Uh, so... Uh, internal medicine resident, or I'm sorry, a PGY-1 pharmacy practice residency. We really, it wasn't a PGY-1, Sean. It was pharmacy practice is what my certificate says. So if you have any older listeners, they'll know what that means. The equivalent of a PGY-1 today uh, at Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Center. And I stayed on there to be a clinical pharmacist. But during that time, really at the end of my residency, I had an opportunity to work with some students, specifically on internal medicine rotations. And I enjoyed that. So I talked to my wife about pursuing that as a career, an academic career. And over a year or two, made the decision to apply for an academic job. And lo and behold, I wound up at Auburn University, which is where both of y'all are. Uh, although neither of us met there, I, I left Auburn before I, either of you arrived. Uh, but had some really good years there, had a couple years there, good experiences, great folks down there, and really laid the groundwork for me to be a successful academician. Uh, I came back to ETSU just simply because it was close to home. I went to undergraduate at ETSU and I almost didn't apply for the job, didn't look at the job. I was really content where I was professionally at that time, but I also was afraid that if I didn't look at this position at ETSU, I might regret it down the road. When I came up here and met the folks, I just fell in love with the program, uh, the people that I would be working with, and 14 and a half years ago, I uh, made the decision to come to ETSU and, and went through the ranks uh, here at the College of Pharmacy. And currently, uh, in addition to being a professor, uh, also vice chair of the Department of Pharmacy Practice. Uh, and I'm our coordinator of our postgraduate training programs, which uh, personally, I am the director of the internal medicine program, but also facilitate uh, just a lot of the activities, orientations, coordinating our teaching learning certificate program, things like that for all of our postgraduate uh, programs, which include an ambulatory care PGY-2 uh, and a fellowship. And in the past, we've also uh, had a PGY-1 community pharmacy program. So uh, I really enjoy uh, talking about postgraduate training, passionate, love working with postgraduate trainees. And so really happy to be here and be able to share some of my thoughts and advice with, uh, with your listeners today. Well, we're very excited to have you and thanks for uh, sharing your journey with us. Um, it, I think it just shows yet again, another demonstration of what a small world pharmacy is. Well, you know, I met you, Taylor, um, through the ACCP mentor program. So that was really cool when you called me up one day and said, hey, I'm looking at a job at Auburn. And uh, you were so I know some of those folks down there and uh, I would highly recommend you go and talk with them and Next thing I know, lo and behold, there you are. And of course, Sean, going through our PGY2 here, comes and says, I'm thinking about this job at Auburn University. And uh, let me tell you about Auburn, Sean. So it's really cool to see where y'all are, uh, how you've kind of moved through you know, your education and 
now seeing where you're at in your career, really hitting your stride and doing some great things. So I want to go ahead and dive into some of the questions, but before we get into the details of virtual mid-year, I kind of want to start from a broad 10,000 foot view. So David, what do you perceive as some of the general benefits of attending mid-year for students? Well, that's a great question, Taylor, and it's one that I get asked a lot by students. One of the things I try to do when giving students advice is to individualize or tailor the advice to the student. So typically when I'm asked a question, my initial response is a question. What are you hoping to do? Where are you hoping to do a residency? What type of residency are you pursuing? I think mid-year, the ideal mid-year, you know, candidate experience, if you will, is someone who is looking at programs across a vast geographic area. And one of the great benefits of mid-year is you have all these programs from all over the country coming together in one location. So an individual can, can meet with someone from Colorado, California, Massachusetts, Alabama, Florida, wherever, you know, across the country, all in one setting over a two or three day period of time. Uh, so for students that are interested in multiple programs spread out over a larger geographic areas, that's really the ideal person to go to mid-year. Also, it's just a great opportunity to meet the folks at the program. Uh, I really think the students are at a disadvantage if they don't have some connection before they submit an application. Chances are if you submit an application cold without talking to anyone at the program, you're going to be less successful. That doesn't mean you have to go to mid-year, right? I mean, you could reach out to the RPD of the program. You could go to a state showcase, for, for example, your students at Auburn, if they know they're staying in Alabama. Alabama has a great state showcase, so they could attend that. So that's typically how I handle that question when students ask me about mid-year, is I try to get a little more information about what their goals are and then try to help them determine if mid-year is the right fit for them. Yeah, I agree with you a lot. There's just so much that comes from having a face-to-face interaction, even if it's over a com- you know computer screen, just being able to talk and hear someone's voice and kind of get their personality. You just can't. You can't get that like you were. I like how you said cold. You can't get that in that aspect, and that does leave a lot of ambiguity when you apply. Well, let, let me explain why I feel so strongly about that. Uh, several years ago, uh, in the infancy of our program, we had a candidate apply that I had not met through PPS, and, and of course, PPS is something I always recommend. Uh, our PGY ones do that are looking for PGY two residencies and usually recommend against for students that are looking for PGY-1s. I just don't, don't think it's necessary or all that helpful for, for pursuing a PGY-1. But it really help, it's helpful for us as a, a PGY-2 program to screen folks ahead of time, and it's helpful for the individuals applying to see if the program would be a good fit or not. But I had a, a situation where a candidate applied with really good credentials, a good training program, and our preceptors noted it was a strong application. And even though we had not met the candidate, at PPS at mid-year, they wanted to go ahead and bring the candidate in for an interview. Within 10 minutes of the candidate being on site, I knew I was going to have a long day and this wasn't a good fit for our program. And from that moment on, I've never invited a candidate for an interview that we haven't screened, whether that's a phone call um, or more contemporarily over Zoom. Uh, And so PPS is our primary mechanism for doing that for PGY2s. But for the PGY1s, you know, that would be the showcase, going and talking to those folks, uh, the RPDs, the program preceptors, the residents of the program are going to be 
seeing if this is an ideal candidate for their program, but it's also a great opportunity for the prospective resident to see if the program's a good fit for them. So it's really a two-way opportunity for candidates and programs. Kind of shifting gears towards the virtual um, mid-year this year with that shifting to that type of platform. I think the initial reaction from everyone is this might not be the best thing or kind of view it as a negative, but they might not realize kind of some of the benefits of it being virtual. So David, could you discuss some of the pros and cons from your perspective of Mindyear being held virtually instead of in person? Absolutely. And Taylor, since you asked for pros and cons, I'll, I'll try to do justice to both of those. And I'll start with the pros since you put them first, right? That's how we give feedback. We start with the positives and and then we'll go with the negatives. So I guess the positive would be it really does open up mid-year to more students. Uh, cost is always an issue. So, for example, that student that may have to fly across the country, spend money for a room and board, really at this point all they have to do is pay a registration fee and now have access to the complete program, including the residency showcase. So I think it does open the meeting up for more students. It also allows you a quicker opportunity, if you will. You don't have to stand in line. You can jump into a room. You can message someone, uh, that type of thing. I will say, though, from a con standpoint, folks I talked with last year that had high volume traffic through their booths, the virtual platform, had some limitations, particularly around the face-to-face, one-on-one, you know, video types of things, just because of limitations built into the system. Uh, so I would just encourage the prospective residents to be flexible with the programs. We had planned all along, we just moved over to Zoom. We used the our, our PPS and our showcase booth as a gateway into our Zoom room where we were able to more openly interact with folks. We could have as many people as we wanted in that room. There were no limitations, that type of thing. But the downside of that is, you know, you're asking someone to get off of a platform they just got on and that maybe they figured out and are comfortable with to go to something that maybe they're less comfortable with or it's another step or two and it's an inconvenience. Uh, So I just encourage folks to be flexible uh, with that because every program is going to try to, they're going to do what's working best for them. So unlike being on a face-to-face mid-year where everyone is standing in an aisle, you shake the hand, you walk across the aisle, you shake another hand, you talk to folks, it's going to be very similar you might see differences in the way that the virtual platforms are going to be handled. Some folks may work exclusively inside the the virtual platform that ASHP provides, whereas others may use a hybrid approach where that's a gatekeeper into a Zoom room uh, or or some other online platform where they can talk and interact with folks. Did you do anything as an RPD through your avenues to contact prospective candidates that this is how we're going to do our showcase this year. This is how we're going to do it to give them a heads up. Or did you just hit them with that when they entered? If, if I remember correctly, Sean, I have slept a little bit since then. It's been almost a year. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain we communicated ahead of time and informed them that we would be meeting uh, via Zoom. But then I also had someone manning the, the, the booth, if you will, uh, both our PPS booth, but also our showcase booth. Uh, And we used a similar approach to both of those. For example, if you drop by unannounced in our showcase during the allotted showcase hours, then you would be put into a Zoom room uh, with the appropriate person. So if you were interested in our PGY2 ambulatory care, you would get to talk with those folks. We had breakout rooms set up. Honestly, we put a lot of time and effort in the front end. I I knew how we were going to handle these situations before folks came into the room. 
because I wanted the candidates to have a good experience. Uh, and so I, I heard post PPS and post mid-year that interacting with our folks was somewhat seamless and organized. I heard from other resident candidates that other experiences with programs weren't as ideal, but I also heard from like students for, or former students, for example, that were PGY1 residents who said, oh yeah, we got there and it just didn't work out. I knew it wasn't going to work out because I got five, six people on board. We were playing with the platform a day or two ahead of time. I wanted to know how that was going to work because the last thing I want to do is leave a bad impression uh, with, with a potential recruit. But not everyone may realize some of the limitations of the system up front. So if you're the first person in that room and the program hasn't figured out how they're going to handle that, you're going to have a different experience than maybe the ones that, that have put some forethought into it. But yeah, I try to communicate clearly, particularly with PPS. Now, it's harder to do with the showcase because I don't know who's coming and not coming. But when a PGY1 resident, for example, had reached out to set up an interview for our PGY2 program, I would, I would try to inform them ahead of time, here's what the time's going to look like and how we're going to uh, host you during that time. Yeah, and I had, my, our fellow went through PPS last year. It seemed to be pretty smooth, but the PPS in my mind didn't change a whole lot from its previous iteration because it was still like everything was online. And then when you actually got there, you would just physically go to the rooms. So instead of physically going to the rooms, you're just doing it for that virtual scheduled meeting. And hopefully uh, some of those kinks that you mentioned have been worked out this year being the second year. So we'll see. But I think it's just really helpful for our listeners to kind of get a sense of what to expect when they go in. So appreciate you sharing those details with us. So don't go to your favorite room first. That's Don't go to your favorite program first because chances are they're going to be like, uh, give us five more minutes, right? Well, I think, I think that's a good point, Sean. What I would really encourage your listeners to do is to familiarize themselves with the platform as well. Do the same thing that we tried to do as a program so that when you log on, like you said, you're going to that first room, you, you really don't have a clue. Because I don't know how many times somebody come in the room and go out the room and come in the And I'm getting this little message pop up. You know, uh, this person came in, this person's gone, the person's in. The per and they just and you're trying to message them and, and it's you're sitting there thinking, well, what's going on here? So, so do yeah, I, I don't think you want to go to your favorite program first. That's a good point. And I would probably hit one on Monday morning uh, as soon as it opens and, and just try one out and, and see what's going on so you can figure out how to work the system as a potential resident. So you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier with some of the general benefits of mid-year, but with mid-year being virtual now, do you think all students should attend maybe now that it's a little less cost prohibitive or, or who do you think would benefit from it the most? I think that's a great question. And I do think that it being virtual would change the way I would coach or mentor an individual student. So for a student that perhaps wasn't as keen on going to the you know, physical meeting simply because of cost and timing and stuff, I would probably encourage them to consider the virtual mid-year. And it's also an opportunity for the student that thinks, I, I know I want to stay in this area. Well, you could extend that geographic area out just a little bit and maybe look at some other programs because what you might find is a program that's a really good fit in that extra hour away from home or wherever you're trying to stay close to once you meet the folks there and see that that's a good fit, what uh, would be a better, better program for you to apply to. So I, I think I would be more or maybe less selective in who I would recommend to go to mid-year. I'm always a proponent of going to mid-year, but I also recognize we have students that have barriers, whether it's cost, family, uh, other obligations that keep them from 
from attending. I will say though, you know, I think it's probably true for your program as well as my program. We're in Northeast Tennessee, you're in Alabama, a mid-year in Orlando, or for y'all, even a mid-year in New Orleans is a lot less prohibitive for students when mid-year's in Anaheim. Uh, you're not driving typically from Alabama to Anaheim uh, or East Tennessee, but it's reasonable that you get in a car and drive, you know, with four or five of your friends from uh, Alabama down to New Orleans for the weekend or over to Orlando. And, and in fact, I was probably going to drive to Orlando and take my, my wife and kids with me. So they were, they were, they were probably more disappointed that the meeting was canceled than I was quite frankly. <laughs> Yeah, we had a lot of students disappointed when New Orleans was uh, canceled because it was it's a two hour trip from where I am. Did you get get down there? So students were um, we were like, well, we were all planning on carpooling, and, and now they're all online. All right. Well, before we uh, get to our last few questions, I do want to take a short trivia break. So this, David, this is our favorite segment of the podcast, and so Sean and I both have trivia questions prepared and. Uh, I'll let Sean go first this time. So um, my questions are obviously about Tennessee because uh, I know, David, you've spent a ton of time. You're from that region. I'm from Tennessee. My question is about Dollywood. I assume you either have heard of Dollywood or you probably have been to Dollywood. Have you been? Sean, I've been to Dollywood before it was Dollywood. I don't know. You can ask your mom if she remembers Silver Dollar City. That is exactly what I was actually going to talk about. That's not the question. So you probably are going to know this answer. I was going to say Dollywood opened up in 1985, but it, the first roller coaster actually opened up seven years before when it was Silver Dollar City in 1978. So my question, and you probably probably going to nail this one, um, what was the name of the first roller coaster? And I can give I can give you multiple choice if you need it. Do you need it, Taylor? Yeah, let's get a multiple choice going. I'm always a fan of multiple choice. I'm ready for fill in the blank. Write down your answer. That way we'll know. Uh, we'll know it was uh, you, you didn't need the multiple choice. So that the answers are, and I've written most of these, uh, the Tennessee Tornado, the Blazing Fury, Soaring Eagle, Thunderhead, or Mystery Mine. Which one was the first one opened up in 1978? There's a Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri, which is kind of close to home. So I've been there. I, I So I was listening for a, a a roller coaster name that was similar to what's in Silver Dollar City in Branson, but I didn't, I don't recall one. So I'm going to say Thunderhead. That sounds kind of, that sounds fun. All right. Honorable. What do you think, David? Well, you know, the, the thing that was in my mind was, was the Blazing Fury because I'm just not convinced that the Mystery Mine is actually a roller coaster. Like, I don't think I would describe that ride as a roller coaster, but you did cast some doubt when you gave me that multiple choice, but. I'd go with your gut. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, blazing, blazing fury. If here, I'll show you my written response here on the screen. This so. <laughs> blazing fury, <laughs> and I put, I, yeah, yeah, not see, not a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah I don't. I, I think I rode the mystery mine the other day. I, I don't think it was a roller coaster either. It was listed as one, so that's why I put it there. It is the blazing fury, and it's still there. Uh, the Tennessee tornado was like their first metal roller coaster that they built. But um, I'm like you, David, when I, I used to, I, the first time I went, I was like five years old and it wasn't Dollywood had one roller coaster and it was just a trip up the mountain and a trip back down. And, and you went for the, uh, the bluegrass and the food and everything like that. You didn't actually go for the rides. Now it's like, we just went the other, uh, the other 
uh, last year with uh, with my nephews, and it's like Dollywood almost. They've got all these roller coasters and all these themes and all this stuff going on. So it's it's huge compared to what it used to be. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and ask my question. Obviously, Sean and I have similar thoughts, and and so my question is also related to Tennessee, since you both have ties to Tennessee. So my question is, which soft drink, not whiskey, was invented (laughs) in Tennessee? Was it Sprite, Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, or Dr. Pepper? Thought you were going to say Dr. Enough. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, so he left Dr. Enough off the list. That's That's East Tennessee, though, Sean. I, I don't know if this makes you feel better or not, Taylor, but there's a sign on I-26 driving down through uh, Johnson City, a billboard that talks about, you know, which of those were, were was made and, and founded in, in Tennessee. So if Sean can read going down the highway, he's got a good chance of getting this right. I haven't been down 26 and I haven't even visited Tennessee and it feels like two years now. I would. I mean, people are Mountain Dew fanatics up there, so I'm going to say Mountain Dew, but it's probably not the answer. <laughs> so is he right, David? That's what I'm going with, and and I think there was some foreshadowing though, because he did say it's not whiskey. <laughs> That's well, that makes sense now. I never knew why everybody was so obsessed with Mountain Dew in that region. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting. Um, I was reading about this. So Mountain Dew was actually originally invented by Barney and Allie. Hartman as a mixer for whiskey and Mountain Dew itself is actually slang for moonshine. So kind of, kind of put two and two together. So yeah, that was really interesting. Mountain Dew. So I'll have to look for that sign going down 26. If I'm ever going driving down that highway, it's very pretty drive. All right, back to our questions. So David, as an RPD, can you discuss how you approach virtual mid-year and what you hope to learn about candidates? So our prospective candidates can get a sense of what to expect. Absolutely. And I I think sometimes your prospective candidates, they worry a little bit too much uh, about mid-year. They're worried about selling themselves. They're worried about doing something wrong or doing the right things. At the end of the day, my encouragement to them would be, be yourself. Um, You do want to be professional. You want to put your best foot forward some common pitfalls, and you'd think most of these things are common sense, but I've learned that sometimes you actually have to tell people uh, uh, these common sense things. But I remember going and having this young lady talk about, you know, the the wild night she'd had the night before and how she hadn't slept very much. That's probably not going to leave a good impression with, with the residents or the RPDs. They're looking for professionalism, you know, so you want to be polished. You want to, you know, have, have appropriate professional, attire even via zoom that's one thing i'd say don't don't slack off on the dress because it's virtual but make sure that you carry yourself the same as if you were having a physical presence at at mid-year but ultimately you want to go and be yourself let the program get to know you and think about what you really want to know about the program Uh, one of the things i'd caution students about or prospective residents about is having these canned questions and then going down a list and checking them out it's a pet peeve uh, I, I can I can tell whether you really have a question you care about me answering, or whether or not you've got a list of things. I'll have I'll have prospective residents that sometimes will ask me a question written down that I've already told them the answer to, and they'll read it and acknowledge that I've already answered it, but they're they're going down checking off a list. 
So don't get so nervous that you're out doing crazy things like that and uh, falling into those types of pitfalls. I would say just be yourself because if it's not a good fit, you don't want to sell yourself as someone that you're not. Uh, and make sure that you are prepared, have the questions that you need your answers to so that you can ascertain whether or not it's the right program for you to spend a year of your life in. That's a pet peeve of Taylor's too. He hates the question list. <laughs> I don't mind the question list. Um, the, the appropriate way I see it employed is if I'm interviewing with someone and I'll ask them at the end, say, would, you know, in the last five minutes or so, do you have any questions for me um, that I've not answered? And I don't mind at all if they go down their list and say, well, let me take a quick look. I think you've answered most of these. Uh, yeah, well, you know, there's one thing on my list that we haven't talked about. And then they ask me that question. That's a great use of, of that list to make sure you're getting the information you need. Uh, but don't ask the same questions that have already been asked. Or these generic, you know, questions. Well, can you tell me one thing about your program that, well, you know, if you're going to ask that, don't look at a list before you ask the RPD. <laughs> Yeah. Just be authentic and be involved in the conversation. And instead of just reading the list, Oh, definitely my pet peeve. All right. So last question, and I know you touched on this a little bit, David, but what advice would you give candidates in their preparation and attending virtual mid-year? When should they start preparing? What should they do? Things like that. Yeah. I, well, I think it's like, anything in life, the earlier you, earlier you prepare, the, the easier it's going to be, the better off you're going to be when you get there versus trying to cram the night before. It's not a lot different than taking a pharmacotherapy exam. Uh, don't study the night before the test. So you probably want to start a month or so out and just be thinking about programs. And uh, if you're not sure, think about, you know, ask yourself questions. What am I looking for in a program? Uh, what geographic areas am I interested in? But also don't be too restrictive. Like I remember a couple of years ago talking with a young lady who had this whole list of things she wanted out of a program. And I asked her about two or three programs I thought would be good fits. And she'd written them off of her list because there were these little specific details that, that weren't on her list that those programs she perceived they didn't offer when, in fact, I knew they offered them. So you also don't want to be overly restrictive. Keep an open mind. Um, do your homework and know who you're talking to and know a little bit about the the, the institution. The best interviews I have are when people come in and they know about my program at ETSU and they're asking specific questions about our program. So for example, one of the things being at a college of pharmacy, we have an emphasis in academia. So when a, a prospective candidate comes in and says, well, I noticed on your website that you emphasize the academic component of the program. Could you tell me a little bit more about the activities I'd be doing you know, relative to academia and, and what that would look like in the day-to-day, -day, like that's a great question and it's tailored to our program. Um, and it's better, you're going to get the same response as if you asked me, well, could you describe a day of a resident? That's not a bad question, but also that's a question you could have asked seven people the exact same way. But when you ask it to me specific to my program, it tells me that you've done some research, which leads me to believe you're more interested. And you're also the type of person I'm, that I would perceive might be a more successful candidate overall if you're willing to take the time and, and do your homework. So I would say, you know, start early. Uh, don't stress out about it. Like this is not like you're memorizing everybody's name and all the, just know a little bit about the program and have some honest questions that you're interested in. Like you said, Taylor, I really appreciate what you said about dialogue. You, you just want to go and have a conversation with folks. Uh, don't try to put on and be something that you're not. 
And we really appreciate you saying that because I don't think that can be said enough about doing your homework, looking at their stuff. And then, and, and we really, I like that you mentioned the kind of leading in questions. We really like the leading in questions where you can say, where you make it evident, I have looked this up. You don't just say, what, what are some of the things I'd be doing in academia? Cause, cause you're not showing them that you've looked into their program and you might get an answer that you don't want. And then you're like, do I, do I ask it more specifically or what do I do now? So showing that you've done your homework is a great way to lead into those questions. We were like that. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. David, thank you for being a guest on the Postgraduate Pharmacist and for all of your valuable insight. Well, thank you, Taylor. And thank you, Sean. I appreciate y'all having me. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. Remember, you can listen to us on all major podcast apps. And don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode in the description below.